Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. You know, the grace of God is a pretty common phrase. It's really popular, but it can be tossed around so much that sometimes it can lose a little bit of its impact. I mean, we just sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, but for many of us, it's hard to not just switch on autopilot when those words come up and you just kind of sing the song and you go, oh, okay, yeah, and you kind of actually forget how incredible, how amazing God's grace really is. And so this morning, what I want to do for a few minutes is give us a refresher on the grace of God and why it's so amazing and why it's worth singing about. So we're going to look at three facets of the grace of God. We're going to zoom in on a passage in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. You can turn there now in your Bibles or Bible apps. Um, What we're going to see is that this text makes it very clear that the grace of God changes us, saves us, and sustains us. So I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." So the first facet this morning is that the grace of God saves us. And before we get too far, we should define what the grace of God is so we're on the same page. We have a precise understanding. The grace of God is unmerited or undeserved favor. It's goodness and kind treatment from God to us. We don't deserve it. One pastor has said it this way, grace is God's lavish favor towards those who deserve his wrath. Now, the grace of God is manifested in various ways, but most often when we talk about it, it's in reference to our personal salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, again, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I'm so thankful that God's grace appeared. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, we deserve judgment, we deserve punishment, we deserve wrath for our sin, our rebellion against the King of Kings. But instead, because of the grace of God, we receive salvation. We receive complete forgiveness of sins. We receive eternal life. We receive membership into God's forever family. That's pretty amazing, and that's worth singing about. Now, how does this happen, though? Verse 14 who, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us, for you, and for me. He went forward in our place. Because of God's grace, because of Jesus dying in our place, we can be reconciled to the creator of the universe and forgiveness is available and offered to every single person this morning. And this is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't pay it back. You can't be good enough. It is simply the grace of God, which is also referred to in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, 
as God's goodness and his loving kindness. Let me just read those verses. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us not because of works, but because of his great grace. And this gift of salvation is received through faith. We repent. We, we acknowledge our sin. We, we, we confess our sin, and then we turn from it, and then we believe. We put our complete trust in Jesus Christ. Not in our performance, not in our abilities, not in our goodness, not in our intellect, but in Christ's perfect performance. And on, and on that basis, we receive salvation. That's why, again, the grace of God is worth singing about. That's why we call it amazing. And that would be good enough. But there's more. There's more. See, the second facet is that the grace of God changes us. If you look at Titus 2, verse 12, so this grace has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So you see there's both a negative and a positive element to this training, this teaching that the grace of God does. Negatively, the grace of God teaches us, trains us to say no. Say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, the way of sin, the way of selfishness, the way of rebellion, disobedience against God, the way that the world just happily goes and promotes and even celebrates. But then positively, the grace of God works in our lives so that we say yes, yes to godliness, yes to self-control, yes to righteousness and holiness. You see, when a person genuinely puts their trust in Christ for salvation, Scripture says they're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they're regenerated spiritually. They become this new creation, and they're given a new heart with new desires and now a new disposition to hate sin and learn to love righteousness. See, once we experience regeneration, this spiritual new birth, we immediately begin the process of sanctification, which is a lifelong journey of growing in holiness and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God's grace doesn't just bring us salvation. It brings us transformation. But far too often our salvation is viewed as Jesus just gives me kind of this ticket to heaven or some kind of eternal fire insurance. And, and as we heard earlier, Jesus is part of my life. I just kind of add him like a little accessory here when I need him. But then I just kind of carry on with the rest of my life however I want to do it, the way that I've always been doing it. And unfortunately, there are many people who think that way. Many people have even been taught that way. But it's just not what the Bible teaches. I mean, imagine if I had shown up late this morning. I don't know, 10, 15 minutes late, and I, I run through the door, I come up on stage, and I'm all dirty, and my clothes are all mangled, and I'm out of breath, and I say, guys, I'm so sorry I'm late. But, I mean, I was driving here, I was on EC Row, and I got a flat tire. So I'm changing the tire, and in my haste, in one of the lug nuts, it rolled out onto the road, and I just stopped thinking for a second. I ran out to the road, and I grabbed the lug nut, and I look up, and there was an 18-wheeler transport truck coming 100 kilometers an hour, Boom, it hit me. That's why I'm late. <laughs> yeah, you would probably say, uh, Phil, one of two things. One, you're crazy or you're a liar. 
You say, there's no way, Phil. There's no way. No, it's impossible to have an encounter with a transport truck going 100 kilometers an hour and not be changed, not look a little different. To which I would say, then how can we say that we have had an encounter with God Almighty and not look different? What's, what's more powerful, a truck or God? The Bible teaches that when people trust in Jesus, their life is changed. You look at verse 14 again. Who gave himself for us to redeem us, to set us free from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. They're his people. They're purified people. They're zealous, passionate for good works now. They are different. They've been redeemed. They belong to Jesus. See, the teaching of Scripture is this. You could sum it up this way. The grace of God changes the people of God by the Spirit of God to become more like the Son of God. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it again. The grace of God changes the people of God by the Spirit of God to become more like the Son of God. I mean, think about the baptisms today that we celebrate and we witness. These stories of life change. People headed down a road going a certain direction, and then they encounter Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus, and there's a complete shift, a dramatic change after this encounter with Jesus and putting their faith in Him. And that's what we're all about. That's why we do what we do, in case you were wondering. Like I said before, we exist to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus. We don't want just bums in seats for weekly religious rituals. We desire transformation. We want Jesus to change lives, more and more lives in Windsor, Essex. Every true believer in Jesus will experience life change. Now, there's different seasons of that change. Sometimes the growth of the change is more dramatic, and, and there's ups and downs, highs and lows. We understand that. But there is growth. There is change. That's the teaching of the New Testament. So we kind of step back, and you ask yourself, what kind of change has there been in my life? Maybe you've been following Jesus for many years, and you go, oh, man, lots. You say, okay, well, break it down a little bit more and just say, in the last year, in the last year, how am I different? Or the last six months, how am I different? Am, am I more like Jesus in the last year, or am I more like the world? John Piper has said this the world does not need more cool Christians who are culturally saturated. It needs exiles with the scent of heaven and the aroma of Christ who are different because of Jesus. And the final facet that we're going to look at this morning is that the grace of God sustains us. The grace of God sustains us. If you look at verse 13 and 14, we're waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Actually, we'll just stop right there. Waiting for our blessed hope. What is this blessed hope? It's the return of Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. Jesus is going to come back one day. It's our blessed hope. Now, it's interesting. The way that we use the word hope and the way that the Bible uses the word hope, it's actually quite different. Usually, the way that we use it is kind of like this wishful thinking idea. Like, oh, I hope they have shoes in my size at the store. Or, I, I really hope it doesn't rain on my wedding day. 
or I hope that the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup one day. Amen. Like I said, wishful thinking. But the connotation in Scripture, and particularly this verse, is very different. This is something that is certain or assured, a blessed hope. He's trying to say, this will happen. You can take it to the bank. And when Jesus does return, we will finally experience the full glory of salvation. And we'll be able to worship our king without the hindrance of sin. Can you imagine that? Like, that's going to be awesome. But until then, we wait. And the grace of God sustains us as we wait and also reminds us how to wait. Did you know that there's different kinds of, of ways to wait? I'm sure that you know this. There's, there's bored waiting. You're in the doctor's office waiting for your appointment, and then you're waiting in the other place for the appointment, and you're just waiting and waiting. Or you're on hold with customer service, waiting. There's bored waiting. There's maybe nervous waiting. Maybe you're waiting for the results of medical tests or your grades to be posted, and you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Nervous waiting. But then there's eager waiting. Eager waiting is like, can't wait, can't wait, it's going to be great. Maybe you're in line for a sweet new roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, or <laughs> maybe there's like a brand new movie and it's opening night. You're so excited about this movie. You're in line. You got your ticket. You got your popcorn. You're ready to go. Or you're, maybe you've got a friend and they're having a baby and you're just eagerly waiting. When's the baby going to arrive? What's the baby's name? All the kind of stuff. There's eager anticipation. There's excitement. There's expectation. And that's the kind of waiting that's described in verse 13. And it's this kind of waiting, knowing that Jesus is going to return, that's what propels us to be zealous, passionate for good works. And when we're passionate for good works and we're waiting for Jesus, it also propels us to say, I'm going to live a, in a godly way in this crazy and ungodly culture. But I've got to be honest, like hands up time, right? I struggle to have eager anticipation for the return of Jesus 24-7. Anybody else struggle with that? I mean, I have moments. I have moments where I'm like, oh, can't wait, can't wait. It's going to be great when Jesus comes back. But then I kind of, uh, and I have these seasons, and I need reminders. I need the grace of God in this regard just like any other person. I need reminders. We all need reminders. Reminders to, to keep me from becoming complacent and lazy while we wait. Maybe you're here going, yeah, I need reminders. I need this too. We need the grace of God to remind us to keep going. Don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep studying the word. Keep praying. Keep confessing sin. Keep pursuing righteousness. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep going, keep going, keep going. We need reminders, which is why we need also a church family to help us to say no to sin and say yes to holiness and righteousness. We need reminders. And thankfully, God's grace sustains us and meets us in this need. As we sang just earlier, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The grace of God will sustain the children of God while they wait for the return of the Son of God. What an incredible and blessed hope we truly have. Thanks be to God for His amazing grace today and always. Let's pray together. Father God, 
when we take time to dwell on your character, on your grace, to really unpack this and think about this, that we're overwhelmed. That you would show favor and kindness and mercy to us. That you would send your only son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could have eternal life and join your family. What can we do but say thank you? Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live godly lives while we wait for your return. Help us to wait eagerly. Keep us far away from complacency and laziness, Lord. We need your help. We need your grace. Sustain us and change us by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.